Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, John and the team uh, from Sherwood Oaks are in Israel uh, this morning, so they are uh, having the time of their lives. I, uh, John sent a couple of notes this week, and uh, just tremendous. I know some of you have been there, and so continue to lift them up in prayer. This morning, uh, we're talking about uh, the topic out of uh, Core 52 of, on leadership. So I'm going to start with this. Um, I was going to flip this, but for those of you who would consider yourself a leader, uh, please stay seated. Thank you. That's what I thought. Um, there's a few people standing in the back. You can stay standing because you don't have a choice. You're, you're, in, this, you're in this for good. <laughs> so the, the scripture and the topic of this week and Mark 10, um, honestly, um, if, if you looked across any material of leadership, <laughs> Bold statement, the most powerful on the planet is what we're going to talk about today. Um, for if, if you think about the leaders in your life, those who you would say, I want to follow them, I am following them, they're probably practicing this, no doubt. Even if they've never seen this, what we're going to talk about today, they're practicing it. For those of leaders in your life who you would say, I, I just can't follow them, I just they're probably missing what we're going to talk about today. For you as a leader, because you all just said you're a leader, you're going to find that today's topic out of Mark 10 is show-stopping. It will turn your heart upside down. Um, and I, that's, that's not because of the one who's delivering it. That's because of the content um, that's in it. So we're going to, we're going to jump in um, with a couple of questions. Uh, one is... If what do you do when you are the most powerful person in the room? What do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? And are you a leader worth following? Are you following a leader worth following? Are you looking at, listening to, absorbing things worth following? So we're going to talk today about this leadership and, and followership. And so before we jump in, I want to, um, I want to just talk about what the setup to Mark 10, uh, 43 through 45. So uh, Jesus is um, on his way back to the Judea region of, of Israel. And remember, um, Judea is a, is a region. It's almost like a state uh, within, within states, like Indiana, except... It's a lot smaller. So if you think about um, where Jesus actually served, his entire ministry would have been serving from, if, if you could landmark Evansville, Indiana, and Bloomington, Indiana, that's about the region that Jesus touched. Yet his principles of leadership have flipped the world upside down ever since. And what I want to talk about today is what he did in that region. So he's on his way back to Judea. He's really going back to die. He's in his 33rd year of life. He's in his third year of ministry. And he's on the way back to Jerusalem knowing that he's going to die. Okay? So this is the kind of day that Mark records in Mark 10. It's a really packed day. So the day starts out with Jesus uh, being confronted by the religious leaders. Okay? The religious leaders, the, the Jewish Pharisees. And really, they didn't like anything that he was saying because he was saying... Everything opposite of what they were thinking. 
about what a leader is. So, so the, the Jewish leaders come to Jesus and they try to trap him as they often did. And as often and every time that that happened, it took Jesus about 30 seconds to flip them on their back, like a dog, you know, in submission. And so what, what, he, what he got to was they came to him and they said, is the law, uh, what, what's right in the law of, about divorce? That's a tricky one. Because the Jewish law said about divorce that if someone is caught in an indecent act, that could be a grounds for a divorce. Well, there's all kinds of interpretations even to this day about what does indecent mean, right? We're not going to go there today. That's a different sermon, one I'm probably not going to preach. We'll give that to John. And so what we're going to talk about in this, what they were talking to Jesus about was they wanted to get him to say, yeah, divorce is, is wrong, and then they could trap him, or divorce is okay, and then they could trap him. And basically, he didn't allow that. He asked the question back to them, what does the law say? And then he got down to the point of saying, uh, this is what's right about marriage. It's about two becoming one. It's about two hearts becoming like God. And like always, they were silent. I love that. So, so they go, then he goes from there, and he, he pulls them aside and actually teaches that. And then he pulls his disciples aside. He took time with them. Now, remember, thousands of people are following Jesus. I mean, he's at the pinnacle of his ministry, crowds of people following, and he takes his disciples' side and talks about marriage in God's view and teaches them. Then the Bible says that right after that, a group of parents came to him bringing all their kids, and they, they, really what they wanted was they just wanted their kids to be touched that's how powerful Jesus' ministry had gotten. They just want to just, just touch them, look at them, breathe on them. Whatever you do, just touch them. The disciples said, we don't have time for this. We're, we're busy. We're going on a ministry. And Jesus said, hold on. No, <laughs> these are the most important. Bring them on in. And then he took his disciples aside again. He taught them. He, he, taught them. he, he took time with them. Then a rich young guy comes, approaches him, probably a little cocky out of nowhere and says, hey, Jesus, I want some of your moxie, but give me eternal life. So Jesus took time and he taught the rich young ruler this lesson. Okay, but let's start with this. If you want to follow me, let's say you go sell everything first and then, and then join, the, join the bad wagon, dude, we're, we're on it. And the Bible says the man went away sad. And then Jesus took time and he took his disciples aside in the midst of the crowds and he said, for those who are rich and those who have power, it's tough. It's really hard to make to the kingdom. So the lesson there is never be rich. We have a capital campaign going on. Okay, I'm sorry. I just slide that in. And then, then they go on and it says then, meaning right then, then they move on. And Jesus starts to talk about his death. And he tells the disciples, we're going to go back to Jerusalem. The son of man is going to be handed into the hands of men, and they're going to kill him. He's going to suffer. And then something happened that has always confused me, because the, here's the 12, and John and James, the son of thunder, sons of thunder, come to Jesus, and they say, uh, yeah, yeah, we understand. Like, you're going to die. Okay, I mean, I mean, we're, but can, here's our request. 
one of us wants to sit on your right-hand side and one of us wants to sit on your left-hand side in your glory, meaning they didn't even hear the message. They thought he was going to be the king of the world. And so really what they were saying is, we're the first two in your political cabinet. You know, because they're looking at leadership and they're looking at rulers and they know there's hierarchy. So it says that Jesus took them aside, probably off the road, because a lot of people are following. Maybe there was a rock with Easter flowers around it. I'm sure I made that up. But there were probably a side, he took them off to the side of the road. And then he taught them and he said, you know, this is what's going to happen. And then it says, then again, he got back up on the road with his disciples. And then the other 10, they started to argue with the other two, with James and John. And they said, what about us in the cabinet? You know, I can hear Peter saying, I'm the rock. And Matthew saying, well, guys, I have all the education. So really, I should be the... And then Jesus pulls them aside again, and he takes time. And he teaches them about what God has in mind. And those things were for God to decide. But if they wanted to follow him, and then we land on where we are today. So all of that setup is leading to Mark 10, 43 through 45, where Jesus said, first of all, 43, not so with you. That's not up on the screen, but that's in the scripture. And here's what I want to stop on. It's not so with you. People are looking for a hierarchy, even as disciples. Everybody's looking for power, 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 power. Sound familiar? Anybody else in the room a power freak? Control freak? Okay, maybe I'm just speaking to me. I heard a couple, I saw a couple of wives look at their husbands. Okay, just saying. <laughs> the issue of, the, of Jesus saying, not so with you, is he just came out of saying, the rulers are going to be sucked up in power and money and everything else that goes on is not so with you and me and you. So for everybody who sat down and said, I'm a leader, which you did by nature of being here, this is for you. It's not so with you. This isn't how you're going to lead, right? That's challenging. But then he goes on and he says, anyone who wants to be important among you must be your servant. And anyone who wants to be first must be the slave of everyone. Even the son of man did not come to be served. Instead, he came to serve others. He came to give his life as the price for setting many people free. So we're in this 30th week. And for those of you who are new or joining us online, we're in this series, 52 weeks of biblical principles, some of the most impacting principles of our lives is going on for you. We're in week 30, and this one really took me to, to my knees. It has for, for, for a long time. So I want to get into this this morning because, you know, last week John talked about rest and the importance of rest. Um, I thought it was a real snoozer. I don't know about you. Uh, I went home and tried to take a holy nap, but I couldn't. But the power of what John was saying, even though he's not here to defend himself, is that rest is really important to get yourself focused. This morning, we're going to talk about putting yourself in the seat of servant. And so as we get into that this morning, um, I want to just cover uh, some topics that I think are going to kind of break this down. Um, in the, the question that I asked earlier, I'll ask again, if 
when you are the most important, most powerful person in the room, what do you do? And remember, that could be in your home, at your workplace. That could be when you're by yourself. Because you're probably the most important person in the room. So leadership applies at all levels. And those who ask themselves that question uh, start to think, right? So that question actually was asked by, if you know the pastor, Andy Stanley. He asked this uh, in January of 2013 um, at the uh, church service that he was asked to preach at, at President Obama's inauguration church service that morning. So Andy gets up and he asks this question. Now the room is filled with who? The cabinet and future cabinet and leadership team. And people went nuts. The media was all over this for a few weeks. And they brought up every church and state issue to try to figure out where's the wedge here in this conversation. And when they went back to Andy Stanley uh, a week or so later, he said, I don't know, it's a great question. I ask myself the question, that question every day. Have you asked yourself the question that day, this day? Right, because it, but, but the irony of this is, is that, that those who really got into the polarization of the question, making it about church and state and political, were actually doing the very thing that Jesus said, which is the, the powerful want more power. And is it better for me to be right or is it better for me to see right? Are you better at being right? Are you better at seeing right? That question takes me to my knees. Because if I'm honest, there's a lot of times where I want to be right. And so I, I'm going to just confess that this morning. But I want to, what I really want to do is get into the scripture. And so um, as rulers, as people looking for, what, what are we looking for? Authority, recognition, because we see the peak of leadership is the place to be. It's the one in charge. Jesus said, actually, let's turn that upside down. And the, the pinnacle, the peak of leadership in my cabinet is right there at the bottom, serving up. So if you think about the leaders in your life, who you follow, it would be those who do that. So... Um, as we get into the uh, scriptures this morning um, and we think about this, I want you to just l listen to one of the things that Mark Moore says, because at the core of, of leadership and one of the most pinnacle points of Jesus' leadership, and we're going to talk about it during communion this morning, was, was the Last Supper. And so, so Jesus is coming into this setting, and what does he do? The most powerful person in the room picked up a towel and put it around his waist and began to wash the filth off of those he was leading. And in your own way, and in the leaders who you follow in their own way, I would keep asking, does that reflect my leader? And so that's, that's the opportunity that we have. So Mark Moore says it this way, any of us who dare to call ourselves leaders had better be proficient with a basin and a towel so as you, as you do that this morning and, and think about that, there's so many things we could get into about leadership, 
about biblical leadership. We're really just going to touch three this morning. One is power down. Two is provide safety. And three is to practice empathy. So let me get into those, those three points. So how do you give your power to others? You power down. What do you do when you're the most important, most powerful person in the room? You power down, which, which is what Jesus did. Now, for many years, um, I, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm called into to some leadership positions at work and in the church, and I, I have to get better. Like, I have to really get in this. So I was listening to everything and reading everything I could get my hands on and podcasts. And, and then I came to the point, I said, you know, I, I really want to just kind of look at a a biblical study of leadership. So I took a whole year, and that's all I studied was, was leadership. What I was looking for was I wanted some statements I could take into my teams and say, here, this is leadership. <laughs> Do this. <laughs> and Jesus just rocked my world. And it really started when I hit Mark 10. Because my very purpose for wanting to seek out leadership was completely the opposite. So if you're not turned upside down this morning, you might be sleeping. If you're at home and you're not turned upside down, I don't know what to tell you. But, but just pay attention because when what Jesus teaches are things like this. The first will be last and the last will be first. Don't seek the highest seat at the table. And my favorite... Power is made perfect in weakness. Because we see the opposite. We see power is made perfect in more power. But actually Jesus says, no, no. Power is made perfect in the vulnerable. So the more vulnerable you are, Jesus, the more powerful you are. And he says, no, 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 not just that. But that's when you're great. So you're not going to achieve greatness until you take the lowest position in the room, as the most powerful person in the room. Woodrow Wilson said this about power. Power consists in, in, one, uh, in one's capacity to link his will with the purpose of others, to lead by reason and a gift of cooperation. So there's a spirit there. Let me tell you, uh, I was reminded this week about I had an interview with a job candidate a few years ago. And uh, here's, you know, you're going to believe this. This is how the interview went. Uh, I was about 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the interview. And the guy says to me, hey, look, I'm just going to just get to the point here. I'm a pretty big deal in the world of marketing. And <clears throat> so let me just lay out a few things to see if my expectations meet yours. Um, mid six-figure salary. Uh, corporate apartment. This was in Hong Kong, so corporate apartment was a pretty big deal in the city. Need an apartment in the city. Uh, you know, I need a team that I'm going to choose. I need an office by window, um, and I'm going to need a budget, you know, to make sure that I'm connected. So we're we're good. We keep going here, right? Because I need it. For anybody who knows me, it takes a lot to set me off. <laughs> um, this was about 11 at night, so I was already one eye open and. Uh, later, my wife, Krista, said to me, who are you talking to? So I kind of went off on the guy. And I said, well, help me understand. Uh, you're, if you're this important, like, one, I, you, 
I don't really deserve to be your boss, okay? And secondly, I would think that you would have companies all over the place trying to keep you in their company, but you're looking for a job. Help me understand that. And then maybe thirdly, because I'll never be the boss that you, you need, clearly, <laughs> you might want to think about being your own boss because I think that's probably the only way you're going to be happy. Have a great life, dude. I, I don't know that I said that, but I am, I am now because I'm, now I'm stirred up again. <laughs> And I think I said something biblical in there, in that string of things, so I felt justified. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable, but that's, that's the effect of power. And later on, I thought, you know, I don't know what influences this guy's had, but I don't know that they've been good because that, that idea comes out. Now, when I, when I see things like that, I always use the acronym WWJD, what would John Maxwell do, right? Because John Maxwell, if you haven't read, he's, his leadership stuff is amazing. And the one thing that he's always said that has made the most sense to me is that these, this whole world of titles, senior, executive. I knew a guy, one time I met a guy who spoke at a conference. His title was, was resident futurist. And I actually went up to him afterwards and I said, how do you get a title like that? He said, well, you predict the future. I'm like, wow, where'd you study? Where'd you learn that? So the title world, John Maxwell addresses, and he said, the greatest title, mom, dad, son, daughter, husband, wife, uncle, grandfather, grandmother. There's your titles. Everything else means that you have to do stuff to earn the title. So he also said this, and I love it, the 21 immutable laws of leadership. Leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less, period. How do you gain influence from people? It starts by giving them time. In Mark 10, five times Jesus was stopped on that journey, twice by his own boneheaded disciples. And each time it says he stopped and he took time. Now, think about that. All of the the nations following him, saying, this is the next king. And he stopped in the middle of that to give them time. He said this, I lay my life down for my friends. Another tough thing to think about. So how do you, what, what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? You power down. Number two, what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? You provide safety. I love this, what my Angelo said. She said, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. They will never forget how you made them feel. When you go to funerals and you hear people discussing their friend, their mother, their father, their, you start to hear this. You start to hear how this person made me feel. How do people feel about us? How do people feel about you? What, what, do they, what do they really say underneath it all? Because if they feel safe, you're probably going to know that before, you, before it gets time to, to your, for your funeral. Now, one of the things that Jesus said in verse 45 was really important. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. For even the Son of Man... 
Two of the most powerful thoughts and words out of that are this, me too. So we, we hit these points in, in leading and, and people are trying to figure their, out their way and they start to give you a glimpse of vulnerability and you say, yeah, me too. That's what Jesus was saying here. For even the son of man didn't come, guys, to, do, to have power in the way that you're thinking about power. The son of man came to serve. The word that he used, diakonos, the, the Greek word means servant. It's the same word that we use for our word deacon. And deacon isn't an office. I can tell you as we look at the deacons back there, they don't, like, they don't get paid. <laughs> they do what they do. None of us get paid. They, they do what they do because of the love of Christ, because this fills them up more than any title or anything that they could, could be doing. And that's what Jesus was saying. Now, one of the other things that we have to understand is that the world is in disarray right now. And so to provide safety is really important. A few years ago, well, at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the, I think one of the first members of Sherwood Oaks who contracted COVID, I had known him for a long time, and he called me and he said, I think I must have COVID. My, like I'm really having my, my wife's just going to take me to the hospital. I said, oh, yeah, let me know how it goes. He called me later on, it was in ICU, and he said, I'm, like, they've isolated me. We talked each day, we texted, and by the third day, he called. He said, I can't breathe. I'm going to die here. You're going to put me on a ventilator tomorrow. Tell everybody I love them. I'm so scared. And I'll have to tell you, I didn't, like, this was all new. I, I didn't know anybody yet like this, and I, I felt so helpless. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know as a leader, like, I, I don't know what to do. So we prayed. He didn't. I prayed and prayed as long as he could hang on. And I was powerless. Many of you have been in that position. You don't know what to say. And you just, you just try to be present and offer a word of prayer. Let me give praise to God here because the next day he got in touch with me and he said, no ventilator. And then he called me the next day. I praise God for that. He called me the next day and he said, they told me like I'm one of the lucky ones. And I told them, no, I'm not. I was prayed over, man. And I'm one of the ones who rose up. So you should hear his testimony today. And I've asked him, he's pretty shy. I've said, you know, come up here with me and tell him. He's like, oh, no, you can tell it. It's powerful because he will tell you today, I would not be here without God and through prayer. So I've never met anybody. I don't know about you, but whether it's a, a, a coworker or somebody uh, in, in a restaurant or somebody bump into who you say, can I pray for you? And, they, and they'll say, oh, no. I don't do that. Like, I've never had that. Maybe you have. Praying for someone is so powerful. Um, it is one of the most powerful things to do, especially now. So one of the things you have to remember, again, is the world is grieving. Everybody's grieving. Everybody in here and watching online, there is some form of grief that you're going through, that we're going through. Sherry Comier, who's a psychologist in grief mentor, he says, 
There's a communal grief as we watch our work, our healthcare, our education, our economic systems, and all of these systems we depend on destabilize. Work from home, online, canceled weddings, canceled sports, canceled church, they all cause grief. And we're, we're grieving because that which we knew was, was stable is no longer there. So how important it is, is it that as we serve that we provide safety Psychologist and uh, Harvard Business School uh, uh, leader, Professor Dr. Amy Edmondson, talks about psychological safety. And here's some of the factors that we're dealing with right now. 48% of America's workers right now are looking for a new job or a new opportunity. Why? There's, there's unsettled grief. There's unsettled, like, where do I go next? It's confusion. The, the press is calling it the great resignation. Globally, it's this thing that's moving out there. Why is that happening? People are grieving. Dr. Amy Evanson says it this way. Psychological safety is the belief that anyone can speak up, share new ideas, ask questions, notate concerns or mistakes without fear of being punished or humiliated. And psychological safety, if you just go look that up, you're going to see it all over the place. It's a term that every leader, every organization, every business is trying to figure out, how do I pay, make my fee, people feel safe? Psychological safety is tanking, and people are looking for the answers. And I'm telling you, Jesus says, provide safety for your people because this is how I do it. This is a, a me too moment. And the most powerful thing you can say to someone when they're reaching out is, yeah, me too. Here's my version of that. Plan it out. We have, uh, uh, we have a, a grief care. We have counseling. We have support services at Sherwood Oaks. Look on our website. Call the church office. We have the ability. This is part of what your contributions go to, is supporting the church's care of grief. My friend Claudia Mitchell's here this morning, and she would tell you, it's off the charts. We can't keep up, but we love doing it. We love serving. Keep giving toward it because it, it goes to great things, depression, addiction, marriages, and you name it, and the church deals with it. So let us know. Claudia also says this, and I love this. She's here this morning, and I'll cry if I look at her, so I won't. <laughs> Never use people to get work done. Use work to get people done. Parents don't use kids to get family done. Use family to get kids done. And you can keep playing that out in your own scenario. It's a wonderful principle. Fourth, third, and finally, um, practice empathy. How do you uh, share others' burdens? What do you do when you're the most important, most powerful person in the room? <laughs> you practice empathy. You practice empathy. Again, going back to Jesus' example, uh, Jesus had become potentially more powerful than the Passover. Right? So imagine Jesus is going back to Jerusalem. He's heading back and he, he tells the disciples, go set up this dinner. It's a banquet style dinner. There's going to be a guy at this house. He's going to take you to an upper room. He's going to have the provisions. You guys get it settled. There'll be people there to help. It was all in place. It, just, it happened just as he said. We're going to celebrate in communion in just a minute. And during that, during that period, so all these people are sitting there. Imagine you've been invited to Jesus' banquet. It's Passover, number one. It'd be like Easter. And then you've got Jesus coming in. So he walks in the door. 
greets everybody, makes sure they're settled. And then most scholars believe that there were servants in the room because there were normally servants there. Matthew alone had many servants because he was a tax collector. That, there would, that the servants would have been there. And Jesus goes over and, and picks the lowest position in the room of washing the feet. Puts a towel around his waist and starts one by one. This must have taken time to go around the room. He gets to Peter and, he say, and Peter says, oh no, not me, Lord. And he says, oh yes, you too. In fact, you have no part in me unless you allow me to serve and do it. So then he says, well then wash my whole body. <laughs> wash me completely. So um, Jesus was not selective about who he led. He was not selective about his empathy. He gave it and gave it and gave it and he practiced empathy for all. He wasn't selective with people he healed. We're not selective with people. Are you selective? I think I am, if I'm honest. I, I think I might be a little selective in where I serve, who I serve. So lay out a few scenarios. This person committed this level of sin. They've got it coming. Jesus didn't do that. Je Jesus dealt with the lowest, the most hurting. Practice empathy. It makes a huge difference in our leadership. The sister to empathy is tact. Tact is, uh, according to uh, um, Harry Truman, tact is the ability to step on one man's toes without messing up the shine on his shoes. I love that. Isaac Newton said it this way, tact is the knack of making a point without making an enemy. It's not very tactful to go to someone who's struggling in their health and talk about how great your workouts have been, okay? Like, probably not the best idea. Or to go someone who's going paycheck to paycheck, working two jobs to pay off medical bills and talk about the great beach vacation that you just had. Probably not the most tact. You could keep playing that out in your life and you can start to frame and reframe the tact that you take. So I was meeting with a friend uh, last week and um, dear friend of mine, he's a really successful business leader, leader in the community, uh, faithful follower. And uh, we were catching up and I said, you know what, I've got this thing coming up on leadership. What do you think? And he said, you know, I don't, I don't really profess to be a great leader, but he said, the one thing that, that I do feel the responsibility for is that anyone that I come in contact with is in a process. They are there where they are, and, and they know whether they know it or not, they're trying to meet God, and they're somewhere along the way. I'm just a link in this chain. I don't know where I, what link I'm in, if I'm at the beginning, the middle, or the end of that relationship. But what I do know is I never want to be the broken link. I was like, wow, the, the broken link. He said, yeah, because if somebody's on a pathway, I don't have to be responsible for the whole pathway. I don't have to be the one that reaches them, teaches them, and baptizes them. I might just be a voice of encouragement. But if I'm not, that I, I may break the link. I never want to do that. And I thought, what a great principle actually takes us right back to our text. And I want to finish with this. If you think about the great leaders in the world, you start to read about their legacy. 
their regime and where they led from, the platform they led from. Remember this, Joseph led from the position of slavery as a slave in a jail. David led while he was escaping an enemy. Paul led from a prison cell. John led from being captive on an island because he were afraid of his message would convert people. That's when he wrote Revelation. Jesus Christ led from a tomb, a cold, dead tomb. We're going to celebrate it in a couple weeks at Easter. There's never been anyone who's ever lived who led people thousands of years before they were born and will lead thousands of years after they were born, but Jesus Christ, the Son of the Almighty God. You can clap, please. <laughs> but, but remember this. He simply said, I'm a servant. So think about the, the lifetime that you have, your one best life. Where do you fit? Where are you today? And if you need to pray about that, you need help, come up and see us. We're going to take communion right now. And I'm always reminded, if we go back to the dinner table at communion, that that one act that Jesus took, that one position that he put himself in to say, if, if you want to be great, then you'll be a servant. And, and this is the me too. Let me, sh let me show you how to do that. The one who loves is the one who lays their life down for their friends. And in that relationship, one, God had to be okay with that, that separation from his son. And two, Jesus had to be willing to do that. So, so one of the things that we do every week in the church is that we take communion. If you're at home, I would encourage you to grab some bread and, and some princess punch or whatever you may have there. <laughs> because it's about the moment. It's about recognizing that Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So I'm going to pray with you. Um, again, if you have any needs this morning, uh, we have people here to pray. We're going to be here after service. Um, but let me pray over you. Father, um, we're so, so grateful for Jesus. He turns our lives upside down, inside out. He puts the backward forward, but somehow it makes so much sense in our spirit. Because the power of the one who served us is the power of the one who has saved us. So as we take communion this morning, Father, we, uh, we thank you. Turn our lives in such a way that the world might see you, not us. That they might turn to your son, who's the savior of our lives. We thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name.